to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, our topic is going to be the veterinarian's perspective on preparing for calving. And to talk about this, I'm joined today by Dr. Lindsay Walker-Mead, who's a Nebraska Extension Educator and veterinarian based in Webster County. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Aaron. Happy to talk again. Well, as we record this podcast, we're sitting here at the 1st of February. For many commercial cow-calf producers, the calving season is probably maybe just a little ways off or just getting underway. For others, they are getting started. And I know for many seed stock producers, they are, are in the midst of their calving season. But just talk through with us, what are some things to remind ourselves about as we move into the calving season? Just uh, maybe things we already know intuitively, but maybe need to remind ourselves of as we get ready to start calving, assisting these first calf heifers and cows with the upcoming calving season. Yeah, so um, you're right on when you say we probably already know most or if all of this information, but it is nice to have a review. And so that was kind of my goal with today's conversation is just going over some normals, what you should be looking at so that you know when you are having an abnormal situation and you need to do something about it. So we can start with talking about the stages of labor. So again, just the just the basic textbook explanation, there's three stages. Stage one is that preparation stage. So a lot of times, you know, our those of us that have been around cattle for long enough can see those, those body reactions and the, and the signals where they just kind of maybe stand up by themselves. Um, that might be where they're holding their tail kind of funny. You know, textbook-wise, they might urinate, defecate more often, but sometimes you don't even see it to be honest. So especially maybe in heifers, they, they're not really sure what's going on. They might just be a little off, but it's important to know that that can last up for 24 hours. So they might just, you know, it might not be that something's going to happen in the next hour or so, but keeping a closer eye on her would be important. So then we transition into stage two of labor, and that would be the actual delivery of the calf. So this is where we start to see the abdominal contractions that calf moves up into the birth canal. Um, you might see that water bag. And then obviously it ends with the delivery of the calf. And so this is always a up for debate question on how long you should wait or how long should this last. And again, this is based on your systems and your experience and maybe also having a conversation with your veterinarian. But my recommendation is progression within 30 minutes. And so that doesn't mean that from the minute I see the water bag to calf on the ground, it's 30 minutes, but we should definitely see some change every 30 minutes, if not sooner. So maybe that's water bag and then you go back out 30 minutes later and you see two front feet and head or the nose or something. So just constant progression is important. If you're not getting to that, then you know knowing when to intervene is also important. I do give the heifers a little bit longer time just because again, they're trying to figure out life and understanding what's going on. So I usually do not intervene unless it's been 45 minutes to an hour with them with no progression and or signs of distress. That, that of course would be important too. So just as an example, a sign of distress would be if you see a lot of color change. So a lot of that yellow color, maybe in the fluid or it looks a little off, or maybe she's just not acting, you know, something definitely seems wrong. So always use your gut. You know, you don't have to use these as like hardcore rules, but definitely I'd say 30 minutes to an hour, no progression, you need to go check. So then the last stage is um, just delivery of the placenta. And uh, that should happen relatively soon after birth. If it is longer than 12 hours, then it's technically called um, a retained placenta. It doesn't mean we need to do something, but it just uh, textbook wise, that means that we should probably put that cow on watch and um, 
you know, have a plan with your veterinarian on what your next step would be. So one of the things that you said that I think really resonates with me, I had a, a guy I worked with tell me this. He says, when in doubt, check it out. And, yeah. you know, I think if you're observing something and you said, you know, go with your gut, you're like, you know, that cow just doesn't seem to be acting right to me. Uh, getting her in, doing an exam can some, bring some clarity fairly quickly into, is there an issue here or is it, you know, maybe false alarm? But yeah, I think just, uh, and that comes with experience. And I think uh, you mentioned that already. And so the only way to get experience is to do it. Yeah. And I also think you learn from those situations too, because even if it was normal, then you can just kind of mentally file that away and say, okay, this is, this is normal. And, and, you know, when you know your cows and a lot of, a lot of producers are going to know cow individually, um, they, some might be a little different. And so just kind of understanding and each, each time you get with a cow or you you have one of those experiences, you just kind of, you know, you just gain more experience and you learn off of them. So. One of the things you mentioned is just stages of progression and, you know, if things aren't progressing to, uh, you know, when to intervene, I guess, talk through with us just a little bit. How do you know when I've reached something that's beyond my capabilities to assist and deliver and when do I need to call my veterinarian? Yeah. So this is a good individual plan that I think every producer that I, I would strongly recommend every producer have. And every veterinarian is going to be a little different. You know, some may want to see you at a certain stage. Um, some may say, wait a little bit. So having that conversation first with your veterinarian is important. But my rule of thumb uh, is if you get in, there's there's a rule of three, and I think this is important to remember. So the rule of three is you don't ever pull a calf unless you have these three things. And those three things would be two front feet and a head. And so that would be the normal position. That's the way a normal calf is born. Um, or two back feet and a tail. So if it's coming backwards, then those would be, you just don't even attempt to, to pull because you can't, you can't get a calf through if a leg is stuck or a head is back. You're just going to have troubles. So that's the first rule of thumb. My second really important rule of thumb is when you get her in, and after you've cleaned her up and you're as, you know, as sterile and clean and you're lubricated as you can be and you and you palpate into the vaginal canal, if there are two feet and a head, but that that head is kind of stopped because if you if you visualize a pelvis, um, it's oval shaped. So the top of the pelvis is what's going to prevent that head from coming through. So if you can't if that head is stopped and hitting the top of that pelvis, this calf probably isn't going to come that way. So we just don't have enough space. And you can, again, you, you're going to learn that over time. And maybe even having your veterinarian give you a demonstration if possible would be good. But if that, if you can't put your head, your hand, you should be able to slide your hand over the top of that calf's head. So it, it would be pelvis on the dorsal or the top side, your hand, and then calf's head. If that doesn't happen, that calf is probably not coming that way, um, which just just not enough space. Uh, definitely. And and you can visualize that if you just think about, you know, a big, some roadblock is in the way, basically. So you can try and pull, but you're probably going to end up with a wreck on both both ends. I guess also, as you think about, you know, trying to correct a malpresentation, uh, if you come in and maybe a leg is back or we got a calf that's upside down, how much time do you give yourself before you say, hey, I think this is beyond my capability, or maybe you just recognize it immediately, but Give us kind of some ground rules there from your perspective in terms of trying to correct something and get a calf delivered. How long do we work at it? This is kind of a, I, I like to call it an ego check, I think. And I I definitely lived it, especially as a new veterinarian, thinking that I could correct things that weren't 
if I could have an email presentation and how long can I work until I'm just exhausted or the cow's exhausted or heaven forbid we lost the calf. So my rule is 15 minutes. If, if I can't correct something in 15 minutes, then um, I need to have plan B and whatever that plan B is. So in my hands, if I was, if I had like a breach that was just a very, very difficult breach and couldn't get those legs back up, if I couldn't do it in 15 minutes, then I would probably go to C-section. But that doesn't, doesn't have to be the end all, but I would really strongly give yourself a time frame. And, and usually when you, you know, when you're just working so hard, you're going to exhaust yourself, but you'll also really exhaust that cow. And we really want her to help us push that calf. So that's, that's what helps us get that calf out. And so when she's straining and pushing against you, that's really going to exhaust her so that when we finally get that calf up, or maybe you can't even get that calf up, you know, then, then she's not going to be able to give you the extra help to get the calf out. So 15 minutes, as I think is a great rule of thumb. Um, if you want to go before that, or if you just reach it and you're like, no way, you know, there's never, that's never the wrong answer to have a different plan um, to ask for some other help. So let's now talk about calf delivery. And sometimes when we're assisting a calf at birth, the calf, we get the calf out and they're slow to start or lethargic. How do we uh, encourage that calf to get started and uh, give that calf the best chance we can after a difficult delivery? Yeah, so recovery is important. And especially if you are if you are having to intervene, if you have some something that you had to put your hands in there, then this is labeled a dystocia for whatever reason. It just means difficult birth. And that calf has already had a little bit of a harder time than a calf that's just born naturally. So we know that that calf might have a slower start, might have, um, you know, lack of a suckle reflex, which is very important. We know that that their calves are born with that. So that would be when you just stick your fingers in their mouth. And if they kind of chew or try to suck on your fingers, that's a good indicator. If that's not there, then we have, you know, that's a negative indicator of getting up and taking a meal. Um, there was research done that said if they if they don't have that suckle reflex, then they're 41 times more likely not to have colostrum intake, which makes sense. If they can't suck, they aren't going to be able to nurse. So um, if you if you have had to intervene with the calf, then you're going to need to give it a little extra attention. So a couple of things to do is once you get that calf on the ground, you want to make sure you get it in what's called the recovery position. So we don't want to swing calves or hang them on the fence or hold them upside down. That's definitely not helpful for that baby to be able to get a good breath. So the recovery position is where they're actually sitting up on their chest or sternal and their back legs are facing up towards, basically up towards their ears. You kind of frog leg them up there and it just basically makes them kind of like a little tripod so they can sit upright. Both sides of the lungs can take it, can inflate and they can take a nice big breath. You obviously want to try and stimulate that calf the way the mom would. So, you know, rubbing vigorously with towels, um, sticking a piece of straw or something tickling inside the nose is, is important. You can potentially, you know, sweep any membranes or anything from the mouth. There isn't usually much that's there, honestly. Once you just kind of do the, the vigorous stimulation, usually those calves can have a little bit more, you know, get up and go time. But there are a couple normals to think about. And I think it's important to understand what normal is. So a calf should be able to hold its head up, you know, like after about five minutes, like five minutes, that calf should be holding its head up and shaking and sitting sternal. So just showing those alert signs of, hey, I'm, I'm coming to. 
by 20 minutes, that calf should start to actually scramble to try and stand. So this is a calf with good vigor. Um, we, we're definitely starting to see the signs so that it can get up and take that first colostral meal within the hour of birth. If you aren't seeing those things, then we probably should start to think about, can this calf get colostrum in it? Again, talking about if we if we pulled that calf ourselves, knowing that we had some stage of dystocia, we might be having some issues with absorption of that colostrum and or even maintaining body temperature. So those are all kind of negative cascade events that can happen. So I would strongly recommend that we actually give colostrum to that calf. I've already got it caught up or um, potentially, you know, you're in a spot where if you have the option to milk the cow, but you're going to ensure that that calf gets the colostrum meal that it needs right there so that you aren't waiting to see, you know, that that time has starting to tick down about absorption of those antibodies from the colostrum. So it's a good idea to just go ahead and make sure that that calf gets it itself by tubing it. So let's talk about the source of the colostrum there. I guess, what's your thoughts? Do we go ahead and milk that cow out? Do we use a colostrum replacement product? What's best there? So I'm the first to say, I know that it's not always the most fun to milk out a cow, especially after you've done a hard pull and gone through a dystocia. I mean, I, I recognize that as reality. However, she is going to have what's best for that calf the majority of the time. So um, she has put in all of, you know, everything she's been exposed to has created those antibodies into that colostrum and it's been perfectly packaged for her specific calf. So my first rule of thumb would be to get the calf into that recovery position, make sure it's doing okay, and then make sure that her udder is clean and strip out that colostrum yourself. Whatever she has, whatever you can collect is going to be good. Usually uh, an average, a cow that's in good body condition score, so five or above and has been, you know, in your herd for a while and has a good vaccine status or has been around different types of pathogens will have adequate amount of the antibodies needed for that calf. Um, so whatever you can strip out, usually, you know, a quart or two, two quarts probably would be good um, if you can get that much. So that would be first. The second option would be if you have some stored colostrum, so if you had, if, if for some reason you lost a calf, again, you want to collect that colostrum for her, milk her out, and then you can freeze that in uh, gallon Ziploc bags, uh, put it in the bag and then lay it flat in your freezer and it can last for up to a year. And so if you have that source, you'll want to just slowly warm that up in about 100, 102 temperature water until it's body temperature of a calf, which would again be about 102, and then give that to the calf. So if you don't have those options, then this is where those commercial replacers come into play. And, and they're a great option to have. Um, you just need to know what you have, basically. So it's really important to read the labels because there are there are so many on the market. I think a couple of weeks ago before our calving workshop, I stopped at BombGars and there were probably six or seven different supplements and only one replacer. And so understanding the difference between supplements and replacers is important. And, and that difference is how many antibodies does it have in it? And so we're looking for grams of IgG is the, is the antibody that we look for. And it should say it right on the label. So supplements usually only have about 50 grams per bag, where the replacers should have anywhere from 100 to 200 grams um, of IgG. And a calf should have, um, they've done a lot of research on this and, and we now know more, more is better. And so usually a calf can... A, a calf should have up to 200 grams of IgG by that first six hours of life. So if all you have is a bag of supplement that only has the 50 grams in it, and that calf is never going to go back to the cow, and that's all you give her, 
then we know we're going to have potential for failure of passive transfer, which all that what that means is that that calf might have a harder time fighting off different types of uh, pathogens that it's exposed to. We also know there's been a lot of research on those failure of, pa failure of passive transfer calves where they may, you know, if they make it to weaning, we know that they don't weigh as much at weaning. And then we also know that they don't have, they have a much lower average daily gain when they get into the feedlot setting. So, you know, it's, it's this ripple effect. So it really just starts with that first, that first 12 hours of life and knowing what source that you have. Um, those replacers definitely are, are good. They, they have a place for us um, in our calving box and, and you should have something available if you don't have the option to get something from your own herd. Just read the label and know what you have. One of the things you talked about in the calving workshop and I think resonated with me is just also having a thermometer on hand, temping those calves. Uh, we came through a cold spell as we record this, it's nice, but we're going to have some cold weather again just kind of review with us kind of some principles about warming calves that have been born in chilly conditions. What are some things to assess that calf and how do we make the best decision to get them going in a timely way and uh, hopefully get them back with mom and, and on their way? Yeah. So in addition to whatever you want to put in your calving box, you had, you had mentioned the thermometer and I, that is a, that is a valuable thing to have, you know, for your, your box and you can just use a a generic go to go to your local drugstore and get just a human one um, because what that'll do is it'll kind of give you um, some some rules and some guidelines on what's normal and what's not so when a calf is born they usually are about 102 is their body temperature so somewhere around 101.5 to 103 would be about average um, so if you if you see a calf laying out in the pasture and you just want to go check it um, when you, you're going to take your thermometer with you because you want to check that rectal temperature and see where you're at. If you're, if you're below 100, then that calf is probably having a hard time keeping its body temperature up. So we know that it takes a lot of metabolism. They're burning a lot of energy stores to keep themselves warm. And there's multiple things that lead to that hypothermia. And so if, if my rule of thumb is if that calf is below hundred, I'm going to remove it from the environment that it's in and give it some source of warmth. Um, and that can be whatever source you choose externally. So, you know, a hot box or the floor of your truck bed, um, warm water bath, those are all great options. And we have resources about those on the beef.unl.edu website. But also remember that you need to do an internal warming too. So we've already talked about colostrum and the importance of that, but colostrum will really do a good job of warming the calf from the inside out. So as long as that calf can sit sit upright, sit sternal and hold its head up, um, then we want to give it a colostrum meal so that it gets that extra fat and energy and protein needed to get that calf warmed. Um, but it is important to make sure you only do that when that calf is sitting upright it, because there is a risk of aspiration if they are, they're unable to sit, hold their heads up. So those are, that's just a really key, you know, a really simple thing to have a little tool for you to use. Um, also, it's really important to check that suckle reflex. I had already mentioned that about just sticking your fingers in its mouth because you're, you're also, you're going to check to see if that calf is going to, to chew or suck on your fingers, but you're also going to feel for temperature there. So if you, if you don't have your thermometer, but that calf's mouth is cold, I mean, that's a good indicator. If that calf is, is not doing well or, or not able to rise, then we need to intervene at that point. What other things from your perspective are just valuable to remind yourself of as you get ready for calving? I think one of the most important thing is just having a plan. 
So uh, we can talk about all of these these normals and and what you should do, but every system is different. And so having everybody that's involved in your operation know what the plan is 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 invo- is vital to make sure that things go well, or at least maybe not even go well, but that you're able to troubleshoot when they're not and that you're all on the same page. I I think it's really important to include your veterinarian in that conversation because they are also going to have a different preference. Um, You know, are their facilities haul-in or are they stay on the farm? Um, Are there certain things that they would recommend that you have in your toolbox that maybe we don't recommend? Um, So again, it's just an individual uh, case-based situation. But once everyone knows what that plan is, and, and honestly, it sounds kind of funny, but I think it's I think it's important to write that down because if someone that is, you know, the main runner of the operation, if something happens to that person, you know, and or you can't get a hold of that person or something within the minute that something is going on, then um, knowing where things are at and and being able to have everybody know, okay, well, here's a list or this is where that's stored or this is where the calf goes. So those are all really important just to have that plan before we're in the middle of the, you get really, really busy and we all get tired. And it's a, you know, it's an exciting time because we're seeing all the hard work that we've done. We see what's going to be coming up and, and the future of your herd, but it's also, um, it's a very tiring time. And you know, I think that if if there's at least some some solid plan in place, then that might help a little bit get through it. Lindsay, one thing I want to circle back to, uh, just thinking about the conditions in many parts of the state right now, we had some cold, wet weather, and now we've had a surge of warm weather. And as we were having conversation before we got on the podcast, many places in the eastern half of Nebraska are dealing with mud right now. And we talked about calf health and mud and I guess just talk through with us from your perspective, what are maybe some management things we might want to think about with these muddy conditions, thinking about cows with dirty udders and calves trying to get up and nurse. What might we try to do to help that kind of scenario right now with the conditions we're looking at? Yeah. So first of all, it's, (laughs) it's, it's frustrating. I know, and I hate to complain about moisture, but yeah, we, I mean, we are definitely in the thick of mud season and we don't normally see that right now in January, true. So, but but there are a few things, I guess, just to be aware of. There's not a lot, I think that, I don't know if there's a lot that we can do to obviously change it. I mean, if it's muddy, it's there. I think it's supposed to rain in my view this weekend too, so there'll be more. But um, thinking about bedding is, is important. So you and I had this conversation earlier, but uh, we talk about bedding a lot during cold conditions and uh, snow or someplace for those cows to lay down to have a calf. But it's also a really important concept to have when there is mud. So if you have a possible, you know, if you're in a lot situation, if you have a slope area, um, if you have a mound, if you have a, if you just have an area that you know that maybe stays out of standing water and you can keep it a little bit drier. So laying out some bedding is a good, is a good option there. I also really like to kind of think outside the box. So where are areas that maybe we don't normally calve, but it's available to us. And this is where it might be, it might be helpful to have another set of eyes come in. So for example, one pasture area that I work with it's it's a lot situation and it walks into an open pasture and that's about it for calving. Well, we were talking about where else can we go when we're getting so muddy, someplace for those calves to go. And it would be just as simple as once we get those calves hitting the ground, is there a place that those calves can go away? 
you know, we talk about calving and yes, you should have a clean area for calving. And, and I would recommend laying out that, but is there a, is there an escape area for those babies to go lay down so that it's not muddy all the time? And, you know, that in, in this situation, it was as simple as lifting up the bottom row of the barbed wire into the tree row. And so we laid out some, some straw bedding out into these tree rows. And so then these calves have some protection from wind and they have some bedding and it's not trampled down from the mud from the cows. So thinking outside the box and, and looking as to where you can go, you know, opening up another, another location, just trying to get as clean of an area as you can. Because if we're talking about modifying the Sandhills calving method, so we know Sandhills calving is, is calving on a clean environment and trying to group calving dates together. So the calf ages are the same. How can you recreate that in your operation so that you have maybe have a different area or a potential for those cows to get to? Bedding is good. Just make sure you keep the bedding turned over. That could be, you know, scraping it out and putting new down because once we start to get that pretty saturated, we don't want to make it worse. And then the other thing you had mentioned before was keeping, um, you know, keeping good records or really keeping an eye on what that udder looks like. I don't think um, there's not a lot we can do. I mean, I'm, I'm completely realistic as to if the, if the udder is covered in mud and that calf goes to take its first meal with mud on the udder, but um, you can, you can kind of keep a record of that. And so, you know, when you go out to write down heifer bull calf, or you go to tag it or something, just glance over at that cow's udder. And if it's, if it's pretty covered in mud and you'll be, it'll be a pretty telltale sign. If you pay attention, there might be just one teeth that that calf nurses on, and that might be the only clean one and the rest are dirty. Well, that, that other one was probably dirty to start with too. So Keep a note. It doesn't mean that calf is going to get sick, but it does mean that it's more susceptible now because there's been some pathogens introduced. So those are just some, just a few little hints. I know that it's, you know, it's frustrating. I'm living it. I, I know we all are just trying to get through it. But I think if you, if you kind of pay attention to what's going on and have those options for just an escape route, those, that will be helpful. Thanks again for joining me today. Appreciate your thoughts on this. I guess any highlights in terms of places you'd point folks to for resources on the topics we've covered today? Yeah, so we do have a lot of information on calving on our beef.unl.edu website. Um, we've got a couple videos. I have a couple videos on there. Just There's one that's just how to pull a calf, you know, things such as putting the chains on and, and what to look for when we use the dystocia model. Got a lot of information on colostrum on there too. And then if you haven't, then make sure you sign up for the newsletter that comes out because I know that we're having a few um, detailers coming out that are specific to certain topics, so such as the mud control and or calving situation. So those are really good resources to have, plus your veterinarian. Bottom line, that's who you work with the most. And so I think that's a good, you know, go see what they recommend and, and have that conversation together. As was already stated, there are a number of resources at the beef.unl.edu website on calving. And so as you have questions, we'll point you to the resources there.